You're listening to episode five of the Divine Nobodies podcast with me, your host, Eric Ajna, and your co-host, Jennifer Lynn. In today's episode, we have a relationship life coach, Catherine Eipel, in the studio. Catherine is a self-love relationship coach with degrees in psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy. Having devoted 11 years to studying the dynamics of interpersonal relationship, she coaches those looking to embody a more healthy relationship with themselves. She provides one-on-one guidance on how to optimize romantic love in our ever-changing world. So grateful for you to join us. This is a Divine Nobody's Podcast. Good afternoon or good evening. Welcome to the Divine Nobody's Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gosh, and I'm here joined with my co-host, Jennifer. How are you, Jennifer? I'm doing well. How are you? Very, very good. We have a really amazing show lined up. We have uh, a mindset and self-love relationship coach with a degree in psychology management. And she also has a certification in cognitive behavioral therapy. So she's a life coach and she has this really amazing program called Fuck It, I Love Myself, which has become a self-love movement, but also a part of her coaching program. It is her mission in life to show people that a truly easy and happy life is our birthright. So she's here to help women and men gain clarity on the relationships and to invite more love into their lives. I'd like to introduce Catherine Eipel. Catherine. Hi, thank Hi. you for such a lovely introduction. Thank oh, you. you so much for having me. I'm excited for our podcast. Yeah, it's good to have you. Last time I actually spoke to you, we were wandering through the forest at like, I think, <laughs> 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning in Ojai, California, searching for a right rabbit that also DJed. Somehow was able to get power to that equipment. I think, all, I think all of that was battery operated because I remember yeah. asking him this question. Yeah, really? Yeah, because we were like, where, where's the cable? Because we thought yeah. we could find him by following cables. Right. And then we had to rely on the music instead. Right, it was the music. And there was also was like these really interesting lights kind of off in the distance. And uh, we, we were all camping. It was like a group group uh, camping trip, Jen. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, more, of like, more or less like a healing retreat. And we all sort of brought our special gifts to the table. I was doing a sound healing mm-hmm. um, event there. And um, as you know, Catherine is also a yoga teacher. And uh, we all sort of banded together. And uh, it started off as this really uh, amazing celebration amongst our tribe. And uh, it kind of went off into the evening. And uh, just, you know, like any sort of nice wellness retreat, we kind of ventured off and did our own sort of like thing for a while. And we ended up um, wandering through the forest together. Yeah, that was what was so beautiful about that event because it started off as just like a healing retreat with yoga sound healing slack lines and just like daytime activities but it was beautiful because the community of people that it brought together like everyone brought something whether it was food or tea or luna with his portable dj set i guess and that whole 
it felt like a mini festival in so many right. ways. And that's, I think that's that, that was kind of the objective. And I think that inspired Luna to want to go and create something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, well, maybe people have thought about that, but just he wanted to just rent out basically just a block of land so that they could put on that type of festival at some point. Yeah. And it was a lot of excitement around that. So definitely great to have you here. It's, it's been a while. Be here. It's so nice to see you again. You too. In daytime hours. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with everything that's going on in the world. It's nice that we can still create a space in order to share yes. this type of wisdom with each other. You know, so I wanted to uh, kind of just discuss a few things. You're a woman yeah, of many different absolutely. talents. I wear and, many uh, different hats. Yeah. And you, you have definitely have a presence on, on Instagram. And I see a lot of your posts and a lot of oh, those are driven you. by, you know, how to improve your relationship, not only with yourself, but also in your relationships that you have with other people. Mm-hmm. And um, you're a really big advocate for that. She also has this program called Pillow Talk. And if you guys are on Instagram, yes. you can probably get in on that. How did that start with you, by the way? Pillow Talk started um, very much authentically on its own, completely unplanned. So yeah. I've been, I was working with a business and marketing coach when I started going into life coaching to help with my Instagram presence because I didn't know where to start or what to do. Um, So I had been working with her, aerial yoga goddess, Margie Pargy, if she's watching. (laughs) Um, And she was hosting an aerial yoga weekend retreat and it was a 33 hour training and she asked me to talk about love and relationships and she was like just host a master class and she was like you can pick the content you want and so I like outlined everything and I was so excited and it was quarantine and normally I would go to a studio or take these things in my office but I was like well it's quarantine I don't know where I'm supposed to do this and I have this beautiful backboard on my bed with like these these flowers on it and everything. Yeah. And I was just sitting there listening, like watching the people before me on this workshop. And I was wearing a red silk robe and I had my feathers in my hair, which is what I do when I give sound baths or like I'm like speaking somewhere. I'll put these feathers in my hair. Love it. And I was just like sitting there and I was like, I should give the talk from here like from my bed because I'm going to be talking about love and relationships like it's intimate it's a perfect setting and then I was like okay I'll change when it's time for me to present and then I was like no I need to be in my like silk robe because I'm talking about sex and how you need to be comfortable like in one's skin and I was like and I'm pretty freaking comfortable right now so (laughs) and then the the actual workshop when I was talking it just felt so natural and it was a live workshop, so people were commenting, and I was able to answer questions live, and everything mm-hmm. flowed so well and organically. Mm-hmm. And after it ended, I was like, I should just like make this a podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I I pitched it to Margie, and she loved it. And she was like, what would you call it? I was like, I don't know, something with like pillow talk, because I have like, I'll be doing it on my bench. She's like, pillow talk with Kate. That's what it is. And your first episode's next week. And I was like, oh, I'm doing it. Okay. And then she started advertising for it on her Instagram. So I was like, she's calling my bluff. I got to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Are you one of those people that likes to put decorative pillows on their beds? Yes. 
What is the deal with that? I mean, I'm a guy, obviously, but I've always been interested in that because everybody tells me a different story. I love how beautiful that they look on the bed. <laughs> yeah. You know, but why not sleep with them? So I sleep with four pillows. Yeah. And I have a total of seven on my bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, we have a lot of pillows on our bed, Create too. Create a barricade around you, you know? You can have that comfort. It just goes all the way around, you know? Jeremy well, hates it. He really? hates all the pillows because I'm I, very particular about my pillows. I take them off, and I have a chair in our bedroom that I put the pillows on so they're uh, not on the ground. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. um, yeah, because you don't want a dirty pillow that's on the ground and put it on your <laughs> nice made bed in the morning. You know what I mean? I know, because yeah. then the dirt from the floor is yeah. just going to get on the bed. Exactly. Right. exactly. But it's also kind of nice to have the extra pillows because yeah. then... Like my bed looks so nice, but I'm not gonna sit in it yet because it's not bedtime. So it's kind of like a deterrent. Uh -huh. It is. It's totally a deterrent. But, mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's there's sort of like how you operate in the bed when you're sleeping, and then how you also lounge on the bed. So with the decorative pillows on the bed, is it sort of like something that you use when you're just hanging out on top of it? Oh yeah. Oh okay. So I, I, I feel that. And then I also have like. I have an aerial yoga hammock in my room now. <laughs> so wow. it's at the end of my bed. So uh -huh. when people come over and they see it, they always want to play on it. So yeah, I end course. up like showing them things. Yeah. And then my bed becomes like the couch in the room and people will take like the pillows and lean on them. So it, it has a function. Yeah. So who so set up your aerial yoga hammock? Uh, one of my good friends, Oscar. Uh, he works, sorry, I think I kicked you. Um, <laughs> not on purpose, or maybe. It's okay, forget it. Um, he works at LA Pro Point, and he used to work at CalArts, so that's how I know him. Yeah. And he was a shop manager, so. Good, so I, it's in a stud, and you're not going to be on that aerial hammock one day and bring no, the ceiling no. in. <laughs> I completely trust him. I saw him install it. He he. I hate measuring. That's why I hate carpentry because it's mm -hmm. the whole measure five million times, cut it once thing. Yeah. I'm a like, I'm going to cut it. And if it works, great. Wait. If not, I'm going <laughs> to cut it again. <laughs> That's me. That's me. But he did it where he like measured it seven times. It was like, see, look, it's in the middle. And I was like, I trust you. This is why I'm not doing it because mm -hmm. I would have fallen already. Yeah. And that requires a lot of upper body strength, right? As far as the aerial piece. Yes. And how long have you been doing that for? Since 2015. So five years. Mm -hmm. Did that come sort of at the same time that you got into your yoga practice? Um, It came... Yes. Yeah. So I started yoga back in 2012 mm -hmm. and I took a, f I did it like pretty regularly, like yeah. twice a week. I found a hot yoga studio that was close to my school and I was like, there were certain times in the week where I would avoid scheduling meetings because yeah. I'm like, nope, I'm going to hot yoga. And if you guys think that I'm going to miss a hot yoga class, <laughs> you will fear my wrath. And... <laughs> Yeah, I love hot yoga. Yeah. I actually worked in a hot yoga studio for quite some time Did just you? as a manager to a studio in Arcadia. And I'd never done sort of hot yoga before. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really interesting to go in there and it's so hot. But the one thing that I really enjoyed about it is like when the class was also over and you just walked outside and you just felt like that cool air against your skin. It's like a double refreshment. Cause yeah. when you walk into the class right away, you just like open up and you're like, yeah. okay, I can be here. Mm -hmm. And then when you leave the class, you're like, okay, back to reality. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
don't know. I'm 50 50 on hot yoga. So some studios smell like feet and oh. then I can't get past that. Yeah. And then some studios like they, I don't know, they have incense or something going right. and I'm like, oh yeah, this is nice. So it just kind of depends on where it's at. But yeah, it just I'm depends. Little, you got to watch out with the, yoga snob. with the classes because the temperature varies. Yeah. yeah. You know, some of them go up to like a hundred, over a hundred degrees. Yeah. yeah. I've read right. descriptions for classes that go to like 104 and oh. I'm like, and it's like core power, oh, I don't know about you know, that. Yeah. or they're like, it's infrared lighting. And you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. So the heat is even more intense. Yeah. I remember <laughs> when I first um, started working at the studio, of course they knew I was a sound healer mm-hmm. and uh, I offered to do a sound bath there having no experience in a hot yoga studio before. So I had like my bowls, I had my gong, I was doing the you thing did everything, and I did everything and I was in there and then I realized that the temperature was really hot and I was just like, okay, well we're doing this. <laughs> We're doing this. Oh my God. Yeah. I would have paid money to see that. Yeah. It was a meditative practice for sure. It was something that you kind of just have to accept and, and surrender to. And I felt really amazing. It was very detoxifying, mm-hmm. you know, and it just felt really nice. I've given one sound bath in a hot yoga class. Really? Yeah. It was. How I, was that for you? Um, It was Good. Like I knew what I was getting into because it was at core power and my friend taught there. So she asked me to come in and like do the special class. And she was like, are the bowls going to be okay in the heat? And I was like, I assume so. I've played them outside. I've never played them in a heated room like this. I was like, but I'm, I doubt anything bad would happen, but it's like, it gets so hot because you, I already get hot when I, facilitate a sound bath without yeah. being in a hot yoga class because yeah. it's energy right so like i always end up taking like the first layer of whatever like sweater i have on mm. and with that sound bath i was just like i'm just gonna start in a sports bra because i'm gonna sweat <laughs> and i'm already gonna get really hot i know it yeah like, yeah, yeah <laughs> sure. that's definitely a thing so you do a lot of things you do yoga you do aerial but i wanted to talk more about your your journey into relationships Yes. Right. So did this come out of just a series of maybe experiences that you've had with partners? Um, or how did you get into what you're into as far as the coaching piece and wanting to help others kind of moderate and go through uh, their relationships with others? So interesting you ask that. Uh, this is something, it's not new. And a lot of people think it is. Um, but it's actually something that I had intended to do when I was in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to college, I got my BA, my BA in psychology and my intent was to become a clinical psychologist when I started. And what deterred me and one of the reasons why I decided not to is because we visited a few local um, insane asylums and mental institutions mm-hmm. in the place where I was going to school. And I was going to school in Southern Indiana. So mm-hmm. like very rural area. So not the kind of insane asylum. It, it really felt like the movie, uh, girl interrupted. Oh yeah. Oh, wow. Like yeah. visit. And I turn. it turns out that the one that we visited was the second runner up for the location. Oh wow. For the movie. Yeah. For the oh, movie. Wow. And they ended up not picking it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really felt like I was walking down those halls. It was like really scary. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't like that all of the patients there were kind of just on meds and not really there. And yeah. everyone, like all the nurses and doctors are just walking around like, oh, yeah, it's normal. And I'm like, that's not 
Yeah. yeah. It's not normal. We can find a better state of mind for these people to live in. Um, but that kind of put me off track. And I was also majoring in theater. So I decided to pursue that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was working with theater, I, would, I got very into theme parks and I was working as a production manager for one of the major studios and I was just interacting so much with people mm-hmm. and I wanted to go back and revisit like relationships and do more psychology stuff. So that's when I decided to go and get my certification in cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. and doing that. I, I realized like, no, I don't actually want to do the entertainment stuff. Like I want to pursue what I got into psychology to do. And the reason why I was always interested in relationships is because I come from a family with two parents who shouldn't have gotten married just because they were so, their personalities were so different, but they stayed together for the kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it led to a very interesting family dynamic growing up. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, I was always interested in how, one like husband and wife or any married partner really interacts and how you deal with conflict, especially when you have kids. Yeah. Uh, So on that note, I've decided to go and pursue school again and get my MFT, which is a family marriage therapy license. Mm -hmm. It's so awesome. Yeah. It's interesting. When, people are on that spiritual journey, a large part of that healing process really starts by kind of going back and revisiting a lot of the things that people go through when they're young. Mm -hmm. Those are the most powerful experiences that we have. And um, my journey was very much the same, you know, when you're very observant and I imagine you're a pretty empathetic person where you kind of absorb the energy. Yes. And, but when you're young, uh, you don't have sort of like the, the capacity to understand all those different types of behaviors that you know your parents were giving off when they were in mm-hmm. a relationship it's just kind of confusing it's interesting that and i was talking to somebody about this the other day where it's like if there's trauma and it exists mm-hmm. and you're a child you know you have different ways of coping with various levels of trauma that you go through as a kid but for the most part it's sort of kind of squashed down and you have you know these walls that we end up sort of bridging around that until we get to a certain age of awareness where those, we start to ask those questions. And it's crazy that um, even after 25, we can carry these memories with us for so long, 20 years, 30 years until somebody, something sort of ignites that curiosity to start thinking about, you know, how that affected your life or maybe what your parents were going through during that time. And uh, it's definitely you have to have a lot of courage to go and do that type of healing work because we're trying to reinterpret something that happened more than two or three decades ago, you know? Yeah. And it takes a lot of rewiring in your brain because when, especially when you're a child and you pick up those traumas, uh, you don't realize they're traumas. Like you don't go, oh, this traumatic thing is happening. You're like, oh, why are my parents yelling? Oh yeah, it's normal for them. So you do whatever you would do to like make yourself forget or to not think about it. And then it comes to, that's where it started where like I would hear my parents argue and I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to do this other thing. And then in my relationships, when there would be an argument, I'd be like, I hear what you're saying, 
but I'm going to do what I want to do yeah. because like, that's just what I did. Like that was my defense mechanism. And I, right. and you have to realize that it's so much reprogramming for yourself. Yeah. You go into and you're like, why do I have this trait? Why is this a behavior of mine? Yeah. Right. And it's a learned survival tactic. Basically right. it's become so ingrained that mm-hmm. you don't, you can't separate it until you start doing the inner work and then it's, you pull a thread and the whole thing unravels and you got to follow it. Yeah. So obviously you've talked to lots of people that have had relationship issues. What would you say collectively as a whole is the number one or number two problem with relationships? Modern day 2020. (laughs) You got to include all the dating apps in there too. All the dating apps. Tinder, Bumble. Social media, Instagram. Is it unrealistic expectations? Like people have this idea in their mind of what kind of partner that they want. And then, you know, this partner shows up at their house and is allergic to their three cats. I mean, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of different things. I think it's hard to put it all into one. Or maybe the most common. Communication is always a common one. Um, And so is having unrealistic expectations because it's like you build up your perfect partner so you romanticize about what they're gonna be what they're gonna look like Mm -hmm. and I've seen people who have almost turned down relationships because they've come to me and they've been like this person acts exactly like I want my like soul partner to act but they don't look like I thought they would look Mm -hmm. and my answer is like so if they don't look like it you're just gonna throw it away if they fit everything else like isn't that kind of shallow and it's also exploring why do you have that Mm -hmm. ingrained why are you expecting them to carry these certain physical traits Uh, but communication is by far one of the biggest ones because having difficult conversations and telling somebody that you don't like what they're doing or that you aren't seeing eye to eye on a certain thing is very hard for people, especially people who have been in abusive relationships or toxic relationships in the past. And they take on the role of being the people pleaser because being a people pleaser is a response from trauma. Uh, And they're almost afraid to have their own opinions. Right. Uh, so it's breaking that barrier down. For fear of what their partner will say or do or mm-hmm. how they're going to react to them. Yeah. yeah. So that's part of like the reluctance to be yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And you see that. I, I see that a lot. And I think that, well, when I was dating, I'm married now, but when I was dating, I would see um, people trying to stay in that digital realm a little too long on these dating apps. And then mm-hmm. they go on and on and on. And I'm like, listen, I'm not looking to have a pen pal, like let's meet in person and figure this out. Do we have chemistry or what? And that's a common thing. I've actually heard. super common. Yeah. A lot of people do that. Yeah. That's, that's another really good point is that social media is a large part of that conditioning and our inability Mm -hmm. to speak to others because, you know, and I've been in that sort of dating pool too. Um, And, you know, you want to sort of just elevate with the times and just try it out, you know, Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I noticed, especially even about text messaging, is that there's a human element to human connection. And we tend to kind of lose that through text messages. And oh, we also absolutely. we also have just such a this small period of time where, 
you know, we're ultimately having to prove who we are to somebody because everybody's just always so busy. So the communication piece, I think people get used to the fact that they don't have to immediately interact with somebody that they can sort of either, you know, sit behind a screen Mm -hmm. and tell them any sort of a story that they want. And I always find it difficult to uh, connect with somebody when you're not looking in their eyes, when you don't have that physical proximity there. You know? For sure. You lose out on all the emotional intelligence, yeah. right? When you're going through a text message, you can't see a person's response or hear the inflection in their voice, yeah. which is how it goes to miscommunications, right? Mm-hmm. And people misunderstand social media posts or text messages and think that it means something else. Yeah. Um, dating's so confusing. It is yeah. so, so confusing. glad I don't have to date anymore. Yeah. And it's like the point that you said about like what you said about having to prove yourself to, to someone that's also another thing that's common in relationships is people always feel like they have to prove something because they're afraid to be themselves for fear of rejection or what their partner is going to say or how they're going to respond. So it's getting everyone to be comfortable with themselves and who they are and like being okay to like love their flaws. Mm -hmm. I know I'm not the best. I can be flaky with text messages. And like, if you send me an email, I hope I will get back to you within the week, but yeah, like, <laughs> yeah I know exactly what you're saying because yeah. I mean, there's a, a part to, uh, and they talk a lot about it in the course in miracles about just a sacred partnership. Mm-hmm. And it's easy because we live in this sort of world where social media drives a, a large part of our human interaction, where we're creating essentially these avatars of who we want people to see us as, yes. and they see the best parts of who you are. Right. But exactly. And after a certain point, we start identifying that as being reality. Mm-hmm. You know, that goes into a completely different realm of this is maybe the reason why people, you know, give up so easily or they always have this idea that there's something better out there. And if you got, you know, 40,000 followers on Instagram, you sort of start developing this feeling of like, well, people love me, then it must be you, you know. Mm-hmm. But the other piece of that is when we were kids, that sort of technology wasn't sort of reigning, reigning supreme in that time because we didn't have the internet as readily available. So whenever you had relationships with others, there's more of an incentive to make it work, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And there was also the understanding that, you know, relationships can be really hard, you know, they can be really tough. And there's an acceptance that has to come along with that where you are, you know, sifting through a lot of the shadow work and the inward stuff that comes out and still remaining committed to that person yeah yeah you know there's a lot of memes going on around on social media where it says uh modern day relationships don't last as long as they did in the past because you're texting your ex instead of talking to your partner yeah yeah and it's so easy especially with social media because even if you delete your ex's number if they still follow you on social and it doesn't even have to be your ex. It can be somebody. You could just start perusing mm-hmm. other people's files yeah. and then start conversations that way. And then what, like, why are you doing that? You're, you're trying, it's the whole, the grass is greener on the other side. You're yeah. looking for something that you want. And you think that because it's not in your current relationship that you need to go elsewhere to find it. And it's like, why not take that and bring it into your relationship for mm-hmm. sure the grass is greener where you water it exactly that's that's fact gotta put the work in yeah we <laughs> yeah. put fertilizer in our grass it's hard to keep that shit green it's hard yeah and 
so many of my friends and I have been telling each other lately, everything, anything worth having is going to be hard. Right. Like it's not Absolutely. gonna be easy if it's worth it. Yeah. And it's because you it's your test. You have to put in the work. You have to prove to yourself, to the universe that like you want it to work. Right. Yeah. That's totally and, true. It's like you we I one thing I mean, we listen to a lot of these sort of podcasts about, you know, integrating with success and wanting to just be a better person and have your own business. And there's just a lot of movement around that. But the one thing that they say is that we don't really learn a whole lot from success. You know, we're too busy being present with it and enjoying it. And although there is a lot of learning that goes along with it, but the one thing that I acknowledge, especially in my relationships is that I delve the most meaning from those difficult situations that involve the other person to show up mm -hmm. and to have an open dialogue about something that is very difficult for anybody to talk about and sifting through that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like having just that, that one-on-one -on -one conversation with them and just being willing to be vulnerable, you know, like being willing to sort through, you know, the shadow work that kind of comes out because it doesn't matter who you are. If you spend enough time with somebody, that's going to happen. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've always thought that it's so important to have fundamentals in common, like just fundamental things. If I like to go out and I'm super social and hang out with my friends and I want you to come along with me, but you're a homebody and you don't really like to do that kind of thing. That's not a that's oh, not a good yeah. match, like outside of the chemistry and having great sex and, you know, good conversation. You have to have really fundamental things in common too. religion is another one that's huge. Right. I have. I have a, a friend that is Jewish and she, you know, is hell bent determined to be with a Jewish guy. But then she met a guy that wasn't Jewish, but her family didn't accept him. So, you know, there's, yeah. there's so many tough. Yeah. That's so tough. I mean, there's so many other elements outside of, you know, the chemistry and that spiritual connection, right? You, yeah. you have to have fundamental things some, in common. Yeah. Some basic core values that are common. Because uh, I used to date someone who was a homebody and I like to go out. I'm an introvert, but I also have extrovert tendencies. So I'd like to go out to like parties. And it was to the point where so many of my friends who I worked with who had never met this boyfriend of mine at the time, they would always invite me and they'd be like, oh, yeah, and you could bring your boyfriend. I'm like, yeah, it's just going to be me. Yeah. Be and I would still invite him and he would always say no. And it was to the point where like my, my friends at work were like, this boyfriend of yours, fictitious, no? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then your friends and family start to get offended. Like, are we not good enough because this person isn't coming around? Or what's going on with you? Are you guys fighting? I mean, there's always a reason, right? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, no, he just likes to watch his reality shows and be in bed by 930. So, <laughs> so. I'm going to be here at 2 a.m. and uh, go back to my place. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. So you say yeah. communication is obviously very important. What other things from your experience? Because you, you're a coach, you probably speak to lots of different people. You know, what's another yes. thing other than communication that you feel like is really integral to any type of connection? Communication, knowing your personal value first before mm -hmm. you get into a relationship. Because a lot of people go into relationships thinking that they're going to find self-worth or that they're going to be fulfilled by finding this partner. Mm -hmm. So then when they they put so much on their partner that the relationship, it's almost like a death sentence mm -hmm. because they're expecting their partner to like all of a sudden heal them. Yeah. And 
then that means that their partner is signing up unknowingly to go down like all of their traumas and find their shadows. Mm -hmm. And if their partner can't keep them happy and you're not satisfied, you're not happy with yourself, then it, you put it all on your partner and you project it. Mm -hmm. So it makes the fights worse. And it, a lot of times will lead to an ugly breakup if the two aren't able to like sit and recognize that it's coming from one person's lack of self-love, self-fulfillment. So I always suggest like, if you don't feel good about yourself or you have a low sense of self-esteem and you're trying to get into relationship to fix that, like don't like sit with yourself and really get comfortable with who you are. Like Mm -hmm. as healing's not pretty and you can't, just look at Instagram or any social media because it is the highlight reel and people aren't going to put their deepest, darkest secrets on there. No, of course not. So this is a topic I wanted to ask you about this. I'm so glad you're here for people who have been in relationships for a long time and Mm -hmm. then the sex starts to dwindle. And then that's whenever you see the relationship end, right? Mm -hmm. How do you keep that from happening? Uh, What's your advice to keep that spark and keep the sex going because obviously if there's no sex, then it's just a roommate. Yeah. You know, so what do you do? Uh, one thing I like to know about my partners is what their love language is, but there's also something that I talk about on my YouTube channel. This is like such a great segue. Um, (laughs) it's called your erotic blueprint and essentially it is your love language, but for your sexual style. Yeah. What is your love language, Jen? Acts of service. What about yours? <laughs> um, I'm words of affirmation and physical touch. Those oh, are like okay. my close two. What's yours? Words of affirmation, physical touch. Yeah, oh, same thing. Hey. <laughs> yeah, that's my husband too. So you're talking about this program that you have, we have the... Oh yeah, so the erotic blueprints is how you identify sexually. So I encourage everyone who has a partner to find out like, where you guys are on the spectrum of that and how to play into each, into each other. Cause there are some people who are more into like kink is an erotic blueprint style. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean BDSM and chains. Like a lot of people like showing up in an animal onesie. Yeah. Or something. yeah I mean, I mean, sure, but that's not, <laughs> it's more about like the play with kink and like getting a little risque. Yeah. And Then there's, let's see, what's another good erotic blueprint? Um, Are there a lot of them? While you're thinking of that, where does one go to find out what their erotic blueprint is? Is there like a website you can go on and take a test? There is a website. Um, So it's, I believe it's eroticblueprints.com. And the lady who created it is Jaya. She's a sex therapist and has been for um, years like that is like she knew that that was her mission as like a kid and yeah. just went for it um or you can also watch pillow talk with kate i did an episode <laughs> on uh erotic blueprints where i talk i describe all of them at length mm-hmm. so uh another blueprint going back to that is energetic Mm-hmm. So if you're energetic, what really excites you is more of the game. It's like everything leading up to sex. Okay. Um, 
That's important. Yeah. yeah. You know. So energetic is like for anyone who's listening, if you really like foreplay and you always want more of that, you're most likely an energetic blueprint. Um, yeah. I actually heard something. Well, I, I was had, had a conversation with someone the other day and they work in energy work and they, they also are pretty fluent and it comes to relationships. But she told me that one of the most powerful things that you can do with your partner mm-hmm. is after you have intercourse you're so activated, right? Your energy mm-hmm. is just sh- sort of shooting in all different directions. Like your chakras are spinning, like everything is heightened. And to just lie with each other and yes. hold each other. Was, it's such an intimate, super vulnerable experience, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to say that? Ooh, Jaya's beautiful too. She's gorgeous. And she, oh, what does she look like, Jen? Uh, she has black hair and mm-hmm. she's got that pale skin or like sexy look. You yeah, know? Oh, her okay. hair is like kind of styled like yours, I feel. It's just darker. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah she really looks pretty. like somebody that would talk about. Yeah. Yeah, so the site that I found this this on for our listeners in case you want to take this test is um, theboldlifemovement.com. And um, there's a picture of Jaya and then there's a hyperlink to take the quiz. Wow, she's got that nice mystery. She's probably yeah. a... It's probably a Scorpio. She's got that Scorpio vibe to her. She's got black hair. She totally hair, has a Scorpio vibe lipstick. to her. She's got yeah. that really seductive mm, Of course kind of a Scorpio would find her. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because you're a Scorpio. Yep. <laughs> I love it. What's your moon sign? What, what, what's your moon in? Uh, my Aries moon. Aries moon? Mm-hmm. That's a nice little yeah, balance. Yeah, that is. Yeah, and then I'm a Virgo rising, so oh, okay. like, ties it together. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That's where the mystique comes from. Nah. <laughs> all of those signs have mystique so yeah that's true that's true i want i'd be curious to know what other what other um blueprints are there so there's the energetic kink shapeshifter what is shapeshifter, shape-shifter. yeah what is that? that sounds um, cool it does i feel like i know what it is <laughs> i feel like i've done that <laughs> Um, then there's sensual. There's one more that I'm forgetting. That's it'll, a good, it's a good number of to me. ones though. But, um, the shapeshifter is a combination of all of them. Oh, wow. Oh, the, the fifth one is sexual. So it's energetic, sensual, sexual, kink, and then shapeshifter. So the, the shapeshifter, say that five times fast. Shapeshifter, <laughs> shapeshifter, shapeshifter, shapeshifter. Can you do it, Jen? <laughs> no way. I'm not even going to try. You can try. Shapeshifter, 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 shapeshifter. That was good. <laughs> that was good. You did a good job. <laughs> you guys are good. Um, so the shapeshifter is a combination of all of them where yeah. they will take on whatever their partner is more interested in. Mm-hmm. But the downside to that is sometimes you can lose your energetic style and your or your sexual style and what you truly enjoy at and find pleasurable Mm -hmm. because you're facilitating so much for your partner Mm -hmm. so then it starts to build up this neglect for Uh them Uh, which takes us back to being in a long relationship and having the sex die out is a lot of times there's some sort of resentment being harbored by one party whether it is in the bedroom with their sexual style or somewhere else in life Mm -hmm. um so it's not always about like sex at that point. And it's more, again, going with the shadows, like, okay, what have you guys been talking about? Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't really talk. You avoid each other when you're home. And yeah. well, that's why. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I had, I had a relationship, personal story. I had a relationship with a guy years ago and a super nice guy, mm-hmm. but he would always do like little kid voices and he was really funny. Wait, and what? Oh, he just has his little, vo- little. Yeah. Like his little voices and like, you know, can, um, yeah. And he was really funny and really cutesy. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't to me and it wasn't that I actually thought about that until after the relationship was over, but the sex died out because I didn't see him in a romantic partner type of way. Mm -hmm. I saw him in a funny, like playful, like childlike way. And And somebody may, somebody may like that. that. And somebody may like that, but that just wasn't for me. So, but great guy. I mean, just that's, yeah, that happens. That happens. You can, another reason why sex may dwindle is if you have two people so everyone has feminine and masculine energy and if you're a female and you're dating a male just to keep the comparison simple if the male starts to exhibit more of his feminine energy and starts to live in that space more then it's forcing the female she unconsciously subconsciously she'll start acting more masculine and then it'll it creates this clash in the relationship and then the woman is like you know what I don't really find him that attractive anymore because he's living so much in his feminine he's you know talking all the time like nagging and I just I see him more as like my best friend I love him but like I'm not attracted to him in that way do you see the same dynamic and maybe women that are more alpha that appreciate that that embody more of that masculine energy so does it kind of go both ways on the spectrum where mm-hmm. it's like if you have a, a woman that's just maybe a, a little bit more masculine are they still able to be with men that are a little bit more feminine or just do most women just sort of have this like universal understanding that like a man represents a certain type of dynamic a certain type of masculinity good question that is a good question i don't think there's a universal standard i know um but it does take a lot of times like alpha women are also attracted to like alpha males yeah and they like that because like they know them they're an alpha and they see like this man is like all this power someone that is going to be their partner not necessarily take care of them but will be able to like pick them up if they need it if they fall Mm -hmm. and they'll feel you feel supported and protected from that um i myself is am an alpha alpha female and i usually gravitate towards alpha males as well Mm -hmm. but i've also seen it where i've been dating an alpha male and then i've seen him go more feminine because i'm living more in my masculine do Um, you really blame him for doing that no just no yeah it's like it's kind of like natural that that would happen right Mm -hmm. and it makes a lot of sense like at the time when it was happening i didn't i wasn't looking at it at the lens that i have now yeah um but it's a very natural psychological response that happens automatically. You don't, and you don't know that it's happening and your partner's doing that because they want to bounce the partner equilibrium Right. because every couple, ideally you want to be in the sweet spot of your, 
the center of your feminine and masculine energy right. for both parties. Yeah. So when your significant other starts going to one end of the spectrum, you are like, okay, I've got to bounce it out. I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum. Right. But then you guys are so far apart that you don't understand why you're even together at that point. Cause yeah. you're like, right. we're so different from so each different. other. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've, uh, so I don't we were talking about this the other day where it was like, you know, it's crazy how in the polarity realm in which we live, which is on our planet and its existence, we have this sort of this this uh, contrast of you have, you know, your left and your right hemispheres of your brain, which are responsible mm -hmm. for your creativity and also just something more emotional, like your rational and more emotional. And when I look at a relationship between two people, essentially you're trying to alchemize a very sacred sort of energy. I mean, you're, you're coming together as, you know, a male and a female. And there's this really beautiful connection that happens when where it's balanced out in the right way. It's becomes mm -hmm. very, very sacred. It's almost like you're yes. embodying that strength and that beauty of God, mm -hmm. you know, and it's almost like this sort of toroidal field that's created between you and another person. And it's no surprise that, you know, regardless of who we're with, if somebody's more alpha or more submissive, there's always that push to try and balance out those energies. Mm -hmm. And I see it almost like this pendulum that swings. And you don't want it to swing too far in either direction. And I bring this up sort of as a comparison between relationships that I've seen where you have uh, a relationship where the passion is so unbelievably great and it's just bliss, blissful mm -hmm. moments. But the farther it goes into that intensity, it swings back harder, just the same into those sort of darker, more of shadow elements. Mm -hmm. A lot of pain may be involved with that. And then I've also seen relationship where the pendulum kind of swings in the middle. Mm -hmm. and you have that connection, but maybe the passion isn't there, you know? So it's like trying to develop this perfect balance between your partner. It's hard to quantify because everybody's different. Absolutely. You know? And it, Every relationship is sacred. And when you can get that balance, it's, it's so, it's that divinity that you're looking for really, yeah. because you can have the, the crazy sex, the mad passion. And a lot of times in relationships that only exhibit that there's really no talking. Yeah. Like yeah. they don't really sit and have a conversation they're always the people that are like out and about do things in groups of people mm -hmm. um there's a funny meme i don't know if you guys have ever seen this but it's like a, a goth kid and he's got his <laughs> black eyeliner on and he's sitting next to this girl and she has her like tennis sweater and has blonde hair and a ponytail like cheerleader outfit and they're eating ice cream. And it says on the bottom when the only thing you have in common is fucking an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Every good meme starts with a goth a picture of a goth kid from like the late 90s. I haven't seen that, but it sounds hilarious. <laughs> it's really funny. I haven't seen that one either. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll send so now it to we're both, both going to see yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to look it up so you guys can see it. It's yeah, funny. Yeah, it do it. I want to see this. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 interesting. Um, you know, like how, in, you know, when I think of the sacred relationship, I always think of, you know, how a woman and a man can sort of join together and ultimately just create life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the perfect 
representation of your love and embodying that sort of source energy that you can just, you know, connect and life is just sort of spawned from that. Yeah. You know, sacred connection that I think has been almost desensitized in our society today with how readily available sex is like Mm -hmm. sex isn't when people think sex, you don't think babies like that's not the first thing that comes into no. your mind now. First thing that comes up to the mind is like, I don't know if I can afford that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't meet that median income in California of like seventy thousand dollars or something for one household, and you're just like, yeah, kids are just not a question. It, it especially mm-hmm. in the millennial culture. I actually went with a friend that had a dog. Okay. And this was in Silver Lake, and we were going to the opening of this pet. Um, like shelter thing not a pet shelter it was more like a pet shop okay right it's like a pet co or something like that and um she we went there and she had her pet and walked in and there's like a photo booth for you can take a picture with your dog Cute. and all these different stations with their fun. animals and i ended up having some conversations with some people that had these really amazing exotic animals and um the way that they talked about their pets were like they were children yeah and you know i have a cat I definitely see her as my kin, like my child. Mm-hmm. We're living in a time, and she had, one of the people that I had a conversation with were like, yeah, it's the alternative to children because we couldn't afford to raise a kid in the world that we live in now. People are just turning to the pets, and that's totally okay. Yeah, yeah. we have three. Three children, pets. Oh, <laughs> three yeah. fur babies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Sancho. Aw, yeah. he's the best. Yeah, there's these little, yeah. you don't know if you saw them on the way, and they were just like these little chihuahuas, little ankle biters. I yeah. didn't see them. I heard them. Yeah. Uh-huh. I do love Pomeranians, so I might have to see them before I leave. <laughs> yeah, they're but. pretty cute. Yeah. We have a really old one. He's 16. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, one of Jeremy's friends, he was making fun of him last weekend. He was like, your dog. Do y'all remember Teddy Rupskin? Do y'all remember? Teddy, Teddy Rupskin. It wasn't he that like doll that had like the little cassette and yeah chest yes and, like and his mouth stories. would move and he would read you stories do you remember teddy ruxpin now that you're describing it yeah, yeah. yeah. the other thing about teddy ruxpin though is that he was always like that doll that was at like a cousin's house oh 100 never yeah. worked yeah like somehow i actually think my cousins had one because i didn't have one yeah but i'm pretty sure my cousins did he probably they probably did but i i can probably guarantee you it doesn't work. No, oh, when yeah. the batteries died, the yeah. mouth moves, moves really slow, and he's like, yeah, they're like those like scary. It's like the creepy <laughs> animatronics at Chuck yeah. E. Cheese, you know, a hundred percent. Like one eye is moving and the other one's not. Yeah, it's like that kind of thing. But it's like I've I've, I've run into so them, bad. and I've always wanted. You know, I like stories. I like hearing stories, but Same. they just for some reason everyone I ran into it never worked. Yeah. But yeah, I do I do know Taylor yeah. Spin. So anyway. He, uh, Jeremy's friend, he was, he was saying, Hey, your, your dog needs more batteries. Batteries are low. Cause he moves really slow. Uh, <laughs> He's like an old Teddy Rupskin. <laughs> Teddy Rupskin. Aww. Yeah, good old yeah. Teddy Rupskin. That's nostalgia. Poor Teddy yeah. Rupskin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So, so you're also, uh, a Reiki practitioner. I am. Right? Tell us about India. Yes. I have been dying to ask about India. India? Yes. Oh, yeah. You I, see studied, that on her bio? I studied in India. Yeah. Yeah, I did a 100-hour yoga intensive in India uh, two two years ago now. Yeah. 
so I was in Rishikesh for two weeks, staying at um, this little ashram with a, like eight to ten people. So the ashram that we were staying at wasn't a traditional ashram. It was also a guest house, more like a hostel for just really any backpackers, any travelers to come. So from time to time, we would have other people in like certain yoga classes that were just living in the house and they were there just, you know, to take that one singular class. And then when it was time for us to go and have like a more intensive yoga or a philosophical discussion, then they would always Mm -hmm. go for that. Um, But India, it's what a trip. It is definitely on my places of list of places to return to Mm. because you see all spectrums of life you and everyone told me before I went they're like keep an open mind like you're gonna love it but you're also gonna see that it's a little like kind of gross and people would warn me and be like remember it's a third world country over there still and like you hear it and being in America in a first world country you you hear it, but you don't actually hear it because you don't have anything to compare it to unless you've been to another third world country. And at that time I hadn't. Uh, so So when I got there, I just like right away, I immediately saw what people were talking about and was like, Oh yes, life is just different over here Yeah, because you look out and you see beautiful mountains and, um, the river and you're just like, this is so picturesque and you turn your head and there's a poor child that's homeless begging for scraps from a restaurant. And Mm. then, you walk a little further and you see someone else just peeing out openly in the middle of the street and you're like, yeah. this is life. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's one thing I notice about India. Well, you know, whenever people think about going to India, it's not always the first destination for people that just want sort of this luxurious sort of getaway. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that, you know, during the sixties when, you know, Ram Das and the Timothy Learys and that whole movement started, we had groups of people that were going off to India because it sort of embodies this spiritual journey, mm-hmm. right? For lots of different people. One, because, you know, when you go there, there's nothing really easy about that experience, you know, especially in contrast to kind of how we live here. Uh, one, I remember one person put it, this way to me where it's like the richest poor place in the world Mm -hmm. where it's like they are so rich in culture and there's this sort of collaboration between others and they're very friendly. And, you know, you have wandering ascetics that or sadhus that are walking the streets and people are always just so quick to help them out, you know? And I Mm -hmm. think that culture and that spirituality is just really ingrained in their culture. And although it may look, you know, not as great in certain areas. There's always, uh, I imagine they're just always kind, always happy people. They are for the most part. Everyone was always friendly. Like first off, I just want to say for anyone who's listening, who's been to India, my time was strictly in Rishikesh. Um, so that's, it's like yoga Mecca. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's where like the Beatles went to, 
when they went to an ashram. Mm -hmm. Um, but everyone that I met was always very nice. Like it was easy to talk to people. Um, and in Rishikesh, a lot of the shop owners know a little bit of English. Mm -hmm. So it was easy to learn. And then luckily, because I was there at the retreat, I was also, they had Hindi classes. So I learned a little bit of Hindi while I was there. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. So, so what learn? brought you there? What was your calling? Like, how, how did that trip come about? Uh, very simple serendipitously um is that even a word serendipitously serendipitous <laughs> serendipity sure serendipitously it is because i said it say that five times fast serendipitously 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 that Ooh, i can say shapeshifter yeah, i cannot <laughs> yeah. that was good that was good um thanks uh so what brought me to india I was in my teacher training and my teacher had also been to India before a few times and she would talk about it. And I was like, you know, I would like to stay in an ashram and really just immerse myself in the culture and experience it. Cause, and up until that point, India, it wasn't on my place of, th of places that I needed to go. Like it wasn't on my list of like, Oh yes, I need to see this. But the more that I opened up to yoga, the more I started to just wonder, like, what was it like over there? What is it over? What is it like over there? How is the culture different around yoga? Because here in the West, it's very much just based on the premise of doing it for the workout and the physical gains. And... So I had that idea in my head and I had like done Google searches and looked up ashrams, but it's also hard because you're not in India. It's not like you can go and check these places out because a lot of them, like it's either a two week commitment or like months. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to commit to a place if I don't know what the environment's going to be like. I can't pick the education. I don't know if they're going to have English. Um, and so I was, my friend was hosting this event and she asked me to do Reiki, work as a Reiki healer for the event. And this girl came in. So the, my friend Jessica, who was hosting the event, she had invited a bunch of her friends. And one of them was a friend that she did a training with that she was at an ashram with in India. And he brought his girlfriend who um, the, the two of them collectively had put on this ashram experience and they were host, they were co-hosting it. And when, uh, she walked into the room, her name is Nina. Like when I saw her, I just like saw her and there was a crowd of people around her. Mm -hmm. And you know how you walk into a room and you just see someone and you're like that person. Yeah. I don't know them, but I'm like drawn to them. And I like, I don't know why, but I have to talk to them. Your intuition was so. just like, yep. Yep. And I like saw her and I was like, boom. And so like I walk over there and there was a crowd of people and I literally like, I don't typically do this, but like, I kind of like made my way to the front of the crowd and I was just like, Hey, I'm, I'm Kate. Like I'm giving Reiki. I don't know if you'd like a Reiki session right now, but I just wanted to come over and introduce myself and say hi. And she was like, Oh, 
and we just started talking and I was like well where did you come from and she was like India and I was like what oh wow <laughs> and she was like well I mean I'm staying here for the for like the summer months because right now it's monsoon season in India but I was living in India for like the past year and a half so wow. and I was just like so enthralled I had so many questions and I was like, what's it like there? Where have you been living? And she was telling me that she just got done with an ashram and that her and her boyfriend were going to be putting this ashram experience on. And she gave me a flyer. And I remember thinking like, this is it. Like, this is my way to India. I don't know how I'm going to get there, yeah. but I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I even, I even said, I was like, okay, I've been looking at ashram and I'm kind of afraid because like, I don't know if I can afford it financially. And she was like, we have payment plans. So like, if you can't buy it all now, like you, we can set you up on a payment plan and we're, we actually do have a discount going right now. Oh, nice. It worked out for you. And I was like, Oh, cool. Yeah. So what was it like practicing in India? Like, or, or learning there? It was. Cause that's the source, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people when they think of like, yoga, they think of India. Yeah. You mm-hmm. got people by the Varanasi down by the banks, just, you know, mm-hmm. doing Lotus pose or like Cobra, just right there on the <laughs> banks, you know? Yeah. It was quite a different experience from the West because in the West, it's all about alignment and the cues, how you're putting your physical body in. And this was an intensive. So a lot of the people who were in this ashram either had a very strong yoga practice already, like a personal practice and, or were teachers already. So we were able to like skip over that and really focus on the feeling. Mm -hmm. So, so many of our classes were led by, um, how does it feel in the body? Like follow the energy. And whenever I did yoga there, I would close my eyes a lot and mm. like hear the teacher and just like go with my body unless it was an Ashtanga class, which Ashtanga yoga is very strict mm. and um, it's very much about the poses and the sequence and getting the order right, which mm. we also had that. So it was a, a very good balance of energetic and allowing yourself to be spiritually guided through mm. these poses, through the sequences, and also like how the yamas and niyamas play into just everyday life. Mm. And that was probably one of my most favorite things about that trip was there were so many conversations had about what it means to be a yogi Mm -hmm. because in the u.s when you say oh i'm a yogi then you think of like oh you're just like a hippie who does yoga all the time who drinks like wheatgrass shots and (laughs) always goes to these smoothie bars but when you say like i'm a yogi in the eastern eastern side of the world it means that you're open to love you see love as the primary source and you have compassion Mm -hmm. and you're most likely living a life of satya of truthfulness yeah Uh, and those are concepts that you touch on here in your teacher training but you don't go that far in depth like one of the assignments we had in india was 
to meditate in nature. And mm-hmm. I remember talking to my teacher because there were three teachers involved with that. And I was talking to one of them and I was like, so I'm having like, I have some family issues and like, what should I do about it? And he was like, you should go sit in a jungle and see what comes up for you. And I was like, you are literally telling me to go sit in the jungle (laughs) to figure out how to like be better with my family. And he was like, Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so then with on that note, he like sent us off into a stream. Like he walked us there, showed us where to go. And he was like, all right, you guys stay here as long as you want. And I'll come get you before lunch. Like when it's ready before a tiger eats you. And he, yeah. he woke me up. Like he found me as I was like coming out of my meditation. I was in the middle of the stream holding onto a rock. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So did you find what you were looking for? million dollar question yeah so in much a, more in a right? sense yeah I got so much more than what I was looking for because initially I was just like meditating outside of the stream I was like I'm gonna put my feet in it and I was like well this is dumb I'm gonna get in the stream <laughs> <laughs> and I was like there's this rock right here I'll just cuddle with it so I don't <laughs> swim yeah. away I, love I, mean, it. I, can, I, I appreciate that because it, there's something about nature that when you're in it right and 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 this can be for anybody, anybody when it goes out and you've experienced what it's like to be out in nature. It's like, there's a certain order and a certain flow to how it moves mm-hmm. completely indifferent to any sort of drama or any type of, you know, density that we kind of bring into it. It's like, no matter how many problems you have in your life, if you're in nature and you're amongst the trees and you're speaking out, they're never going to respond and say, like, I told you so. They're never going to engage in this level of sort of neuroses that we end up finding ourselves in. Mm-hmm. And they come off pretty much as just the greatest example of how to embody that meditation because they effortlessly just do what they do. And they're just doing it all the time. And there's really no reason for it to do what it does except for in that moment, that's what they're doing. I mean, you can get down to, you know, the fact that, you know, plants provide oxygen and the sun provides heat and things like that, but they're not thinking about what it means to do those things. They're not getting down on themselves for not being bright enough or maybe not growing fast enough. And the one thing that I love about nature is that it doesn't have a story. And no matter what you bring to it, it's never going to engage and create your story into theirs. So it does this really beautiful thing where, It takes you out of your mind. Mm -hmm. It takes you out of that sort of conflict, but it doesn't sort of forcefully do it. It basically just exhibits this sort of presence and you have no choice but to integrate with that. I'm I'm so glad that you said presence at the end of that because nature is really, it embodies the present moment. It doesn't question itself because it's all happening in the present And by putting yourself in nature, you're waking yourself up to that. You're just exhibiting what life is in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And it just melts away all of that like mind chatter, the vicious cycle of I'm not good enough or I have to pay these bills or the moment I leave, uh, my significant other is going to like start yelling at me again. (laughs) It's just you're immersing yourself in 
life in nature and you're giving yourself the permission to be present with it and just observe what's going on. And that's the biggest thing we can do in life and in any relationship is just be there, observe, observe what's going on. It's okay. Yeah. And almost it's like a process of subtraction too. It's Mm -hmm. not like we're piling on or trying to develop a, a strict process of how to obtain peace. It makes me think of this uh, quote by the Buddha where the, uh, one of the, somebody asked him like, what did you gain from meditation? Buddha's like, I didn't gain anything, but I did lose mm-hmm. all of my anxiety, all of my troubles. And it's like going, peeling through like an alien and an, an onion. Yeah. You're sifting through and you're letting go and releasing all of this stuff. Yeah. And eventually get to that sort of subtle practical space mm-hmm. that isn't, waxing poetic about all the different things that are going on in your life, you get down to the the core, like the ground of being. And that simply is just like what you said, it's just presence. Yeah. And there's nothing complex about it. But the fact that it isn't complex makes it so unbelievably complex and beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It, it's, it's almost like medit- you, you can't help but f- gently fall into meditation when you're amongst the trees and when you're around nature. I've always been my most calm in nature. Yeah. Like yeah. any any time of year, like I would go hiking in Yosemite in winter and just sit in the middle of the snow looking up at the trees and I'm like, I don't particularly like cold, but this is like so peaceful. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm just I don't wanna leave. Like I don't wanna go back to the hotel because this is beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. When you were in India, did you, were you able to go to the Varanasi or the Ganges and and immerse Um, yourself? I was able to go to the Ganges River because it runs through Rishikesh and I had a beautiful view of it from my room, like Mm. stunning, breathtaking view with the mountains in the background Mm. and you see the river is the best way to wake up. Yeah. Um, and I went in the end of September, October, so the weather was pretty decent. It wasn't too terribly hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like the end of monsoon season. His monsoon season had run a little late that year. Um, but I wasn't able to go to Varanasi, which mm-hmm. I was bummed about. I unfortunately had to return for a work project and it ended up getting pushed back. Womp womp. So I could have stayed in <laughs> India had I known it was going to get delayed again. But um, so, what is one of like the big takeaways from your experience in India, as far as like immersing yourself in their culture and their food and their, you know, spiritual lineages and things like that? It's oh gosh, one takeaway. It's so hard. Hmm. It's probably a lot, huh? Yeah. Yeah. A lot to process. I'm, How did you feel when you came back from India? I felt like a completely new being. Yeah. Um, because I did go, you don't go to India for a yoga retreat without looking for something or without like questioning something. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was a time in my life where I was questioning a lot. I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in entertainment yeah. and, um, my sister hadn't moved over to the, the West coast yet. She was still on the East coast. So it was also like how my, I, I hadn't lived in the same city as a family member in over 10 years at that point. 
So I'm like, I've been like a lone wolf over here doing my thing. And now like my sister who I, I am really close to, I have a good relationship with, but it was just like, I don't know what that's going to look like. And I knew I was shifting my life. Like I knew I was going more into yoga and spirituality. And my sister is very much the opposite. She's very logical by the books, science minded. Um, so I knew there would be conflict there and I was kind of like afraid to navigate it. So going to India was a good way to, to like wake me up in a sense. And allow me to acknowledge that like what I'm feeling, what I was going through was justified. There was no judgment and it was up to me to figure out how to live my truest self, how to be my truest self. And in India, like no one, at least from what I saw, like no one covered themselves up. They're Mm -hmm. very open with like who they are and like, you don't, there are really no barriers mm-hmm. right? there socially either, um, which was nice. But I also, I was reflecting on this the other day because I ran into, I was telling you guys before we started recording, I ran into one of the other teachers from that training randomly. I was literally walking on Santa Monica Boulevard further west than I normally walk because I live over there and... Mm-hmm. I was about to turn around and then all of a sudden someone pulls their car up and starts yelling Catherine and I look over and I'm like, I last saw you in India and you're on Santa Monica Boulevard now. And he wasn't supposed to be in that part of town. Him and his friend were literally just driving around before they were going to hop on the freeway Uh and on their way to the freeway, they saw me and he was like, we need to turn around. I know that girl. And then we ended up, on the beach and hung out for a few hours, oh, had dinner together. Yeah. Right? Two years later, no yeah. less. Wow. That's crazy when you it's uh, almost like confirmation. Yeah. That like that journey started at a certain point. And then when you when you see that person two years later, it's just sort of like the universe's way of being like, this is the path that mm-hmm. you're supposed to be going on. Yeah. And the f- the funny part about it is whenever I go and I do trainings or I go on a trip like that. And I know that there's a time frame. I don't want to get close to people. Right. Like it's against my instinct Uh just because I'm like, I'm a Scorpio, right? So I don't want to like invest more energy in people or things if I know it's going to abruptly end. And I could see myself falling into that pattern when I was there and I was talking to the other people. And I was just like, you know what? No, like I'm here to like learn about myself and I'm going to be with these people for two weeks So I'm going to make a genuine effort to connect with them. And I still talk to the majority of the people that I trained with today. And there it's, I can easily say that they are some of my closest friends today. Wow. Oh, that's so awesome. Was it hard? uh, Was it hard to integrate back in sort of the Western world after you came back from there? It was painful. Yeah. My, the first introduction I had was like right off the plane I started to get sick at the very end of my trip because the last few days were very rainy and cold and we Mm. had had sunny weather. So then being on the plane, like you just, you're going to get sick if you already have the sniffles because you're in a metal tube in the air for 18 hours. And my roommate had to go. 
she was flying from out of LAX the same day that I was landing. So she was like, oh, I'll just drive my car and I'll park it in an LAX spot and then you can pick it up and drive it home. And I agreed to this before I went over to India and like the day I had to do it, I was just texting her. I was like, I don't know if I'll, I'm, it's going to be so hard for me to drive mm-hmm. like out of this flight. And she's like, well, like you don't have to, like I'll just pay the extra. And I was like, no, I don't want to back out. We agreed. I'll do it. So my experience was driving back from LAX all the way to the Valley. Oh my God. And like, (laughs) it was, it was just like brutal because I wanted to go slow and take my time and I'm already tired. So that just added to it. And then people were honking behind me and I'm like, right, right. Okay. We're driving. We're driving (laughs) in the city. Gotta go. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I can imagine it's so different because everything is moving so fast here. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have to like. Well, and in India, we walked. We walked everywhere. Yeah. There was one, there were like a few trips where we took uh, tuk-tuks, which is their version of a taxi. Um, but for the majority, we walked and like we would be walking for, you know, an hour. Yeah. Or, or more because when you get to the destination, what do you do? You walk more. Mm-hmm. Um so I just got used to it. And then the fact that I had to be in a car for another hour before I could get home. And the streets of India, it's like a game of chicken when you're driving. Because there's no destined, like at least where we were in Rishikesh, there was no destined, like you're going northbound, you're going southbound. It was all one giant road. And then you see, they would see cars coming and they would start honking. Oh, yeah. And whoever moved out of the way first, like that person could go. Yeah. I've seen but, those videos like, mm-hmm. on YouTube yeah. where it's like, even though it's chaotic, there's like a, an order to it, right? Everybody's just so conditioned to kind of move through that. But I, I'm seeing like people mm-hmm. within inches on their little scooters. Oh my gosh. That's honking. how Vietnam is where there's just like yeah. scooters everywhere and they're all, all over the place, but there is some kind of weird order Yeah, and yeah. you'll see somebody drive by and there's like four people on a scooter and somebody's holding a giant fish and you're like, it's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. There's always a guy with, <laughs> a, there's always a, guy with a giant similar. fish and he's got like his, his, his dog sitting like in the human position and like on the back yeah. of the scooter, yes. just like holding yes. on to him. And then there are cows that are roaming the yes. street and then yeah. the car's honking at a cow and you're like buddy that cow's gonna the cow moves <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly it is cool how they coexist with animals like that mm-hmm. you know because they, they don't believe they believe in you know instead of killing the cow you could get a lifetime of milk from it you know because i know a lot of them are vegetarian but i've seen on the streets where you have just animals kind of wandering yeah. around they're just like hey buddy nice to see you, how you doing? that's another thing i ate so well in india oh i bet oh gosh i love oh. indian food me too the place i was staying they had their own cook oh. so we got spoiled with yeah. breakfasts and lunches and then the town of rishikesh is all vegetarian so yeah you're not gonna go anywhere and get meat um they do have dairy and cheeses of course but it was so easy and so cheap yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah, like I could get a smoothie with like beets, carrots, and like pineapples and oranges for like two American dollars, and here it's like ten. Yeah, um, wow. <laughs> yeah, I love watching those uh, like YouTube travel channels of people that visit India, and mm-hmm. they always go to like the 
the night markets and the stuff that they cook on the streets. Oh man, especially those tandoori ovens. You know the, those tandoori's? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know how they make those? They basically have this hole in the ground. I don't know if you saw this when you were in there, but they have this like hole in the ground that sort of has like a, a fire at the very bottom and they, the non bread, they sort of stick it onto the side of the wall mm-hmm. inside of this like cement or I don't know exactly what it's made of, but, but inside wow. that wall. Huh. And they're just sort of dishing it out. So they have this like little thing. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, they have cool. like um, street carts where they kind of make that, but they mm-hmm. have it like set in the cart. Yeah. So then they have a giant plate that they put on top and like yeah. make it that way. Oh, nice. Very yeah. cool. This has been amazing talking to you and hearing about all your experiences. And I really, really mm-hmm. hope that you come back and we get more and have more conversations about your other experiences. I mean, you're such an interesting person. Yeah. Well, thank so. you. It's been an honor to be here and I've loved our conversation and I'm happy to be back. So I'm sure we yeah. can make it happen. Yeah. Come yes. and show up. You're welcome yeah. here anytime. Yeah. I, I really want to have a talk with you about what is the uh, man about Teddy Ruxpin about Teddy how to peacefully coexist with Teddy Ruxpin yes in your home. you know what I couldn't tell you because my <laughs> my cousins also had the mall game you know oh. the one that would like you would push the button and it would tell you where to go and yeah, like give you little that. stories mm-hmm. My sister and I love that game, but our mom wouldn't let us get it. So whenever <laughs> we went to our cousin's place, we would like disappear in her room and just play that game for hours. And then all of our parents would be like, where did the girls go? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, they're in Angela's room playing the mall game. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That's cute. Yeah, it's been really great to have you, Catherine. If there's just any sort of last advice that you could give to our listeners that are in relationships right now that maybe are struggling to connect, maybe in some ways, especially because we are still in this sort of quarantine and it's a really integral time for especially those relationships to just join together and stay committed to mm-hmm. the work. Absolutely. You know? I would say that... If there's something that is bothering you with your partner, before you go and confront them, take time and sit with yourself and ask why it's bothering you. Because a lot of the times what bothers you in someone else is a trait of yours that you're neglecting to see. So before confronting them and maybe going at it from a fight angle of negativity, take time, retreat, isolate yourself just for a little bit and ask, is it something that you see in yourself and why does it bother you? Because then once you have that knowledge, you can go to your partner and have more of an informed conversation about it. Mm -hmm. And that will help get clarity, understanding, and also strengthen the relationship because you're able to come together. Um, as a union and work on it. Oh, I love that. Great advice. Thank I love you. that. And Catherine, it's been great. I wanted to just, uh, anybody that is interested in Catherine's work, she can be reached and you can see her work on her actual website. You can go to www.ipolhealing.com. You can also find her on social media under the queen of fucking everything. That's right. That's a name you can't forget. I that know. one kind of sticks with you. Love thy that. queen of fucking everything. It's fun to say too. Yeah. Right? The queen of fucking everything. No, thy queen. Thy, 
Die it's queen. queen. Right. You can say it the, but it's spelled with a Y. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Catherine. No problem. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And if you guys uh, have any questions about the podcast, you can also find us at www.divine-nobodies.com. We're also on iTunes. So definitely take a listen. Catherine, it's been wonderful. Have a fantastic weekend and we'll have you in the studio soon.